Aloha, and welcome to the Ohana Stories podcast. Stories that bring communities together. Today, we're at the beautiful Aliso Viejo Country Club. We're upstairs on the balcony overlooking the fairways, and we're talking with Howard Hirakawa. Howard is a busy executive with Pacific Life. He's a parent and an active member of the community. And today, Howard's going to talk with us about how he grew up in the area and how he shares his background and culture with his colleagues at work and his friends in the community. Well, Howard, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I'm, I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you, Ross. I um, always enjoy when uh, getting together and having uh, catching up on things with you. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the fun part is that we have an interesting and a unique relationship, friendship, I would say, because yep. I was at your birthday. <laughs> um, and, um, but we, we've got uh, so many different ways that we've become acquainted. But do you recall how we first met? Well, now we, you and I have been good friends for probably, and it's, it's interesting, Ross, um, we connected so fast, yes. and yet it hasn't been that long, right? That's We've right. been friends for about three years right yeah. now. Um, and it really came through a community group that we have at Pacific Life. It's the Asian American Pacific Islander Group, a PI community group that the company sponsors and promotes. And we were looking for a. We always look for keynote speakers for different events that we have, mm-hmm. and we try to look have get it from a broad array of Asian Americans who've made an impact in our community or in the business world. And um, your name came up, and it came up interestingly through my wife. Yes, because my <laughs> wife was the one who got to know you first, Ross. It was a. Um, families. Uh, it was a fam event. Uh, yes, feeding. Um, no, it was a. Uh, what is that? Um, hunger Walk. It was, yeah, it was, the Hunger Walk. Yeah, You're right. It was a fam, and yeah. it was the Hunger Walk was the event. And if I recall, you came into the parking lot. You were looking for parking, and my wife was a volunteer, and the yes. two of you got to talking, and she pointed you in the right way, in spot. And then after that, you chatted a bit more, and then she found out that uh, you were a city councilman, soon to be the mayor of Aliso Viejo. And yes. <laughs> she came home and told me that. She goes, hey, now I've got another contact. I just met the mayor, <laughs> or the future mayor. And at that time, uh, it came back to me. I asked my wife, Anne, do you think Ross would be willing to uh, be a speaker at one of our events? And then uh, she connected us, and you were gracious enough to do it. Unfortunately, it was just coming out of the pandemic, so we did have to do it uh, virtually as opposed to uh, in person. Uh, You did a fabulous job. We must have had a good 60 people from the community group on it. Feedback was great. And you just gave the perspective of what it was coming up on the political ranks and Mm -hmm. what it was like to run a community and being an Asian American in from that perspective to the API community. And... uh, from that point on, we've connected and support each other in many different ways there, Ross. Yes, and, and what I, I, I believe you don't know is that that experience with your committee at Pacific Life is sort of the basis for these podcasts. Mm-hmm. And, and it was because after I did that, and, and so I'd never done that before and I was speaking, I've done a lot of public speaking events, but that one was unique because I was talking mostly about myself. And I told a couple stories about my mother and growing up aged in Orange County, and your coworkers seemed to enjoy that so much that when I became aware of how to create a podcast, I wanted it modeled after family stories. And that's why Ohana Stories um, is the podcast that huh. it is. It's because of my experience with, uh, with you <laughs> and Pacific Life. 
And I don't think I've ever told you that before. I can't wait to tell some of the leaders in the uh, API group that. Yes. Um, I know at some point, Ross will probably invite you back and we can have you actually in person sitting down with the uh, Pacific Life employees that uh, always enjoyed uh, hearing your perspective on things. But it's great to be an inspiration on something even broader in yes. terms of what you're creating here. And, and you know, I, uh, I want to give uh, your wife, Anne, all the credit that is due because actually what happened was I was getting confused in San Clemente looking for that hunger walk. Yeah. And I was driving through all this traffic and she somehow spotted me. I was driving. <laughs> she waved me down and she and traffic was so bad. She said, follow me. And she actually walked me in. I was driving and she walked me to the parking space. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, this is incredible service because I was in a panic that I was going to be late. Of course, I was, I didn't know, I was almost an hour early. But yes, and, and I, um, I enjoy following your family on social media. I, I especially am, um, I, I'm just uh, in such awe over everything that your family does, but especially um, the athletics that Anne participates in as, yep. a, as a, um, a marathoner and the injuries that she bounces back from. I feel <laughs> like every time I open it up, there's some new injury, then she's training through it and then she's going to run another race. No, it's, uh, <laughs> well, I'm a sports nut myself yes. all along going into it, but uh, athletics is definitely strong in the Hirakawa family with Anne uh, completing the world majors last year, which was really exciting. Yes. So it was a um, interesting situation at the beginning of last year. She came to me and she had said, so the, the world majors make up of six global races, three domestic, New York, Chicago, and Boston, and then three overseas. Berlin, London, and Tokyo. So she came to me early last year and said, because of all of everything getting rearranged coming out of the pandemic, Berlin and uh, London were gonna be back-to-back -back weekends this year. So she had asked, would you be okay if I went out there for that? I can basically complete both races on one trip. And of course, I almost pushed her over and said, are you nuts? You can't do two marathons <laughs> within say, seven days. I was going to say, it's not the travel time. It's the recovery of the physical exertion. And she can, she can do it, as you know, Ross. Yeah. You know, Anne's a, Anne's a smaller gal. Yeah. And so she's not like this. She's not long-legged and all to where when she's running on the pavement, it's pounding her, her knees or her joints and all. But it's still, I always say that's the most amazing part beyond the races that she's run is the fact how fast she actually recovers from them. She can run a, she can run these races, the you know, marathon, and within four hours be sitting around with us at a picnic and you would have no idea oh that gosh. this woman just ran a marathon. So she, so she did it and did Berlin first with a friend, then came over to London, finished up London. She did it on her own. I was back with the family back here in Orange County. And then she came home. Well, now she was only one race away. So we talked after that and said, look, again, we can't go to Tokyo, but you should go. And she, and because who knows what's going to be like next year, Right. you know, right. you could be injured. The pandemic could break back out again. They shut down the race and it'd be such a shame to be so close. Yes. And so she did it. And then, uh, so about maybe, I think it's about three months later, caught a flight out to Tokyo on like a Thursday. Uh, hung out for a couple of days, did the race, and oh then came gosh. home on a Monday because she does have quite a few other things that she does with the girls and is responsible for here. And so she kind of darts in and out of these things and goes back. So she's done. So she's got all six done. Oh, 
Wow. She'll always be a runner in yeah. terms of that. Um, it's nice now because she gets invited to these different races now. She'll be actually going to Paris for the Paris Marathon coming up Amazing. in a few weeks during, uh, during spring break. And she and Grace will be going out there for that. But beyond that, within everything else going on, both girls are now freshmen in high school at Aliso Miguel. And they're both playing soccer on the soccer team there. So that was a very exciting soccer season uh, for wow. us. Clara, uh, Clara's a freshman, made the varsity team and did really well. And Grace had a really nice season on the Fransoft team in terms of their starting left back. Both teams did really good. A lot of practices, a lot of times on the high school. But for us, we'd much rather it be that way. right? Yeah, keeping yeah. busy, keeping the girls busy, going to sporting events. And uh, for me, I'll get my little three-mile jogs in here and there, try to, <laughs> try to stay in shape, stay in with the family and all. But, uh, yeah, it's all, it's all good on how that all plays. And sports is such a key part, and not just the sports and the health element of it, but you make friends, you expand your connections within the community. Both Grace and Claire have made many new friends just from their first season of soccer at the high school there. Now, now, I'm, now I feel like I've forgotten this. Are they twins? They are twins. They are twins. Yes. Okay, okay. Yep. I thought they were. Yep. Okay. And are they identical twins? They are paternal. Okay. Yep. That's, that's right. Okay, okay. And that's so interesting to me because this last week I've been working on a series of, of podcast segments with uh, Elisa Vail Girls Softball and with Lisa Vail Little League. And what we're talking about is the benefit of being in these sports the camaraderie, the, 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 the confidence that they build, and also the friendships and relationships. Yep. That, that's fantastic. And, and, and for you, Howard, I, I, I feel like you have got such a big role at Pacific Life. It must be hard to tear yourself out of your professional environment to be able to take part in all of these things. What, what do you do at Pacific Life? So I'm in the investment area, mm -hmm. um, and if you think of like, uh, if you think of mutual funds, mm -hmm. uh, my group um, runs all of the mutual funds that we have within our products that we have. So we, there's a lot, there's variable annuity and variable life insurance products in particular, and they give you life insurance protection or retirement protection. But within there, there are investment funds that you can invest in. Mm -hmm. And so my team is the one who goes out and finds all fund managers all throughout the country, some throughout the world, to manage these portfolios for our clients. Um, it involves investment work, compliance work, risk work, law, and it all reports up to me with the team that I have. And I'm very fortunate to have a very dedicated group of 25 individuals that do really that are uh, doing really well with that there. Terrific. The balance is uh, always a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. And it's always part of your career as you move a bit higher and higher. Me being an older dad, uh, it came as me being a father in a bit higher or more responsible position than where I was if I was a 35-year-old dad, let, mm -hmm. let's say. Pacific Life is really good at allowing balance within the workplace. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of work that's got to be done, and the company has a lot of objectives that we want need to meet. But, you know, that, you know, so much work or so demanding that on Saturdays you're still on edge to where you can't go to your Little League game or see a recital or leaving, getting to work, uh, leaving work a little early around 4.30 so you can see something at school at 5.00 
Company's been very, very open and supportive of that there. Oh, Definitely coming out of the pandemic as we are now in the hybrid work model ourselves, Ross. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen the company Definitely want people coming in the office. We like the camaraderie of everybody getting together, sharing ideas. I believe that myself. I mm-hmm. think we're a lot of times better when we're in person with each other. Um, but still giving flexibility in the new work environment. So we do not require all the employees to come in every day. We look for about three days a week to come in. Oh. You can come in more if you'd like. Mm-hmm. Like I like coming in the office. I can get a lot of stuff done. Mm-hmm. Maybe come in three, four days a week. Um, and then kind of pick and choose where you are, work from home. And of course, the nice thing about working from home is if at three o'clock you wanted to go see something with your family and it's done by 4.30 and you're back home and you're saying, oh, don't mind working until 6.30 at night to catch up on things, you have the flexibility to do, to do so. and. I think that's been a big help with for me in terms of balancing everything between uh, the demands of work and still being the good dad and trying to be there everything for Anne and the girls there. Yeah, and, and I, I wonder about these things with, I feel like smaller companies are accommodating like this, but it is so nice to hear that a large company like Pacific Life and, and I assume and I believe that everyone is familiar with Pacific Life and the iconic whale yeah. logo on everything. <laughs> but I, I'm happy to hear that that type of corporation allows that flexibility for its workforce because I believe that not just the demands but the expectations of the workforce of today since the pandemic has really changed. And I know that workforce development and recruitment is a totally different game yeah. these days yeah. because of that. Well, it's evolved because, um, you know, in a, we're certainly not the only company coming out of the pandemic. Um, if you asked all, if you asked our employees, would you want to just continue to work remote going forward? We probably would have got an 80% yes, that mm-hmm. I'll continue to work remote. Uh, the flexibility, the uh, uh, able to make, you know, my own day. Many people had said, had, had voiced that. And the company didn't have to come down with a real heavy, heavy hand on it. Like some firms did come down pretty heavy handed saying, you will come in the office. That's the demands of the, of the workforce, uh, of, of, of uh, working here. We're going to be monitoring your employee card when you come in and out. So don't, none of that had to mm-hmm, occur. Mm-hmm. But, we did, but we did encourage, maybe prod, push to come in and start putting together policies of how we thought it would work. And... In my opinion, when I see the people come in those days, and many times it's Tuesday through Thursday, right in the middle of the week, because mm-hmm. that's the other thing I thought we did pretty well is saying if you're gonna if we're gonna come in, let's all come in together. Yes, it's silly, right? If you live, let's say we're in Newport Beach. Mm-hmm. If you live, let's say in Anaheim, or you live out in, um, you know, in Corona or something, and you're being asked to come in, and you come all the way into Pacific Life, and then there's hardly anybody in the office. Yeah then you probably have you know, a right to kind of say, well, why did I do that? Yeah, yeah. I'm not inter- engaging with anybody. And the fact is that um, when I, um, you know, most of the meetings I did had to be over, the, uh, over a Zoom call anyway, sure. right? Sure. So by the company encouraging everybody to come in during those days, it's pretty packed in the, uh, in the Newport Center building. Huh. So everything that we're looking for and everything the employees are looking for is happening at that time. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm definitely seeing a lot more smiles around the workplace now yeah. than frowns in terms of that engagement with people. 
with still the flexibility of the other days of the week to get your work done from home. Well, that's, that is, it seems to be the trend and that's a very progressive employment attitude. Um, but then you also mentioned, so the, the, the group that I spoke with, the AAPI group, mm-hmm. and, uh, you, there, there are other diversity groups within Pacific Life as well, is that correct? Yes, there are. And it, did the corporation decide, let's, let's make sure we do this? Did the employees come forward and say, we want, we want this because we want to engage in these social issues and these conversations? A bit of a collaboration, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the company was very open towards it. But we're, just like we had said, Ross, everybody's busy, right? You're yeah. busy with your, with your actual work that you're doing, like Pacific, Pacific Life or any company has employed you. Mm-hmm. And then you're also busy with your after work things, whether it be family, friends, commitments at organizations, volunteer work, church, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the company can put it together, but it's yeah. got to be the employees who have really engaged and want to do it and believe in it or it will flounder. Yeah. And um, from that perspective, uh, the group that I am part of, again, the AAPI group, has just flourished. Um, excellent leadership. Uh, there was a gentleman by the name of uh, Chin Kim that you had met, uh, mm-hmm. Ross, I remember. Chin was kind of our leader the first couple of years. We have a great, had a great team under Chin that was just really, really uh, focused on bringing everybody together and not just have fun together, mm-hmm. but really, yeah, mentor each other, talk about work in the environment, uh, talk about some of the challenges perhaps as an Asian American being in the workplace in general and, and how, how we look and, and face those type of uh, challenges from that standpoint there. Uh, the, gr- the group is now, I believe, well over 80 people that we have in the community group. We wow. have huge turnouts like we did for your, uh, for your presentation, Ross. And there are other groups. Uh, there's a, the Hispanic community group, uh, Black, the Black Alliance community group, many others that we have also that are doing really well. How interesting. Yeah. And and I, I also have to give you credit for this because I, I don't believe I've mentioned this, but there is a series of in-person talks that I do for local schools in Aliso Viejo <laughs> that follows the theme of these podcasts. And it was the uh, it was a story that I told your group about the way my mother used to scold me when I was younger about not being uh, vocal enough and speaking up and being uh, more uh, attentive and pick your head up and look at people in the eye and that sort of thing. And I was giving a presentation like that at the middle school uh, in Elisa Viejo. And I was explaining how you need to make sure that people hear you, be outgoing if you can, and, uh, and, and don't, be, don't shy away from those conversations. And I was giving that talk in the context of, I think I originally had come in to play my ukulele for this class. <laughs> and I was giving that talk and the principal came over to me and she said, that is such a great message. Can you come back and we'll have a bigger assembly and maybe talk about things that you learned from your parents as you grew up. And now I do it every month. Mm. And and it, it's, it's typically around some other activity. I did one of these talks while I was cooking for a large group of students. But I did talk about growing up being an Asian American in Orange County I, I love the look on their faces when I said that we moved to Orange County in 1970 because I, some kids came up to me and, and they said afterward, boy, my dad is 40. How old are you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, um, I, but I enjoyed that and I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do more of these each month for different age groups. 
And it was really about the feedback that I got from your group. I, I believe that uh, there's an affinity among Asian Americans. When you hear the same stories and you say, you know, my mom used to say that yep. to me. Or I felt that way in third grade. Um, I feel like that type of discourse really brings communities together because I also think non-Asian Americans in their own culture will say, you know what, I that's the way it was for me too. Yep. Yep. And that's why it's so important that companies will encourage these types of conversations because I believe it builds that kind of camaraderie where you can be more productive at work. And you know what we found amongst the groups that, uh, is it's not necessarily just inclusive amongst these groups and they don't interact. Mm -hmm. So whether there are many events where it, the, all the community groups will have some celebration together in terms of promoting maybe their, their own group, but it's a day of learning about all the community groups. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then as we go through different months, uh, whether it be a Hispanic Heritage Month and all, they'll invite other groups to be part of it and we'll actually celebrate it all within the overall company. So we're not looking, I, and that's such an important part, right? We're not just looking for pockets of community groups. Mm -hmm. We are certainly looking to create them and them to have an identity because I do believe each one does, but still the interaction and overlap between them is probably just as beneficial or, and helpful to everybody there also. Because sometimes you say to yourself, that group is actually kind of going through some of the same things that we're going through mm -hmm, here right mm -hmm. now. So we may have thought of it as being an Asian American thing, but it's really not from that standpoint there. And yet there's others within the group where it really is something like you say of growing up in 1970s or 80s Los Angeles and things that you remember and then being in Gardena at a big festival or bunch of whole, you know, big Japanese community was and things such as that are going to Nisei week when you were, you know, about 12 years, uh, 12 years of age. Those are things that kind of interlock people say, I was there. Yes. I was, I was eight. Well, you were 20, Mr. Hir <laughs> well, don't call me Mr. Hirakawa yet. <laughs> Not that old. But, the, you know, I was, I was eight when I was there, Howard, when that, during that event there. And it's not just the it's a, it's not just all the fun things that we grew up with also right it's mm -hmm. also other things that you grew up that may have been frustrating to you as a teenage as a teenage japanese chinese american mm -hmm. growing up in los angeles and just those type of things are things that people relate and connect well with also yeah and i i do have these uh, so many fond memories of growing up so my mother was uh, all japanese and um, we never went to church uh, growing up, but in, oh my gosh, I think in Buena Park, there was a Buddhist festival, mm -hmm. the Obon festival. And we would go and watch the Japanese yeah. dancers. We would eat the, the, the teriyaki beef skewers. Yeah. Um, we would play the, the, the games there, the carnival games, like throwing the, always coming home with a goldfish, throwing a ping pong ball into the goal. And my dad would be like, oh great, another fish. But I have these memories and I took my... <laughs> that fish was dead in two days yes, usually exactly. too. <laughs> But I did, I took my family um, and my brothers brought their families and it was so nostalgic. But then also you look around at the crowd and then we saw people, the next generation that are, are attending that, that we knew when we were little. And mm. I, um, I find that festival so, I, I guess it's invigorating because you think the culture is still there. It's continuing even though it's been 50 years. Yeah. 
Um, and, and I think that that's so important in all of our communities that you keep your culture alive, but then you also share your cultural traditions with other, other groups. Yep. I'm on the um, API caucus in Sacramento, and there are a number of them. The thing that I always am amazed by is in the API caucus, when I go to Sacramento and we have our meetings, there are probably, I would say, at almost half a dozen members of the Black Caucus that always come to our meetings because they want to hear what's going on with Asian Americans. And I think that that type of exchange is what keeps civility in government where right now there is very little hmm. civility. I would agree. And, yep. and so when Need you more have, of that. Yes. Yep. You, you're exchanging ideas and you're building relationships among all the different groups. Yep. And I... You know, here in Aliso Viejo, I, I love to think that we're sheltered from a lot of those uh, things. But, you know, I hear things going on at the high school mm -hmm. and the middle school. And it, it concerns me. And parents ask me about it. What can we do? What can we do to keep our kids from falling into this pattern and looking at people for their differences instead of their similarities? And I think it all has to do with relationships and understanding each other. Well, and day to day, I mean, uh, that's why I actually, I really like the school the girls are going to. Mm -hmm. There is uh, diversity at the school. There's in, in, in many different ways, uh, not just ethnicity. Uh, but or else that's, that's real life, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we as parents can guide our kids and, and give them advice on, on things. But in the end... They're there every day going into high school or junior high. Mm -hmm. And to me, the best way of actually adapting to it, embracing it, is living it. Yes. And going to a high school such as that is how they actually do that. It's why, in the end, you see so many uh, really well-rounded, open kids coming out of our high schools here within the Aliso Viejo Laguna Niguel community that go on to outstanding colleges and thrive going forward. Mm -hmm. That exposure to diversity and differences early here I think has a big uh, big difference I know it's helped me yeah you know I did not grow up in a uh, I did not grow up in a Japanese centric community like a Gardena or, right. a, or a, a Montebello back in back in the day uh, Rosemead was where I grew up it was actually a very small uh, Japanese or Asian population in, in general probably my high school was probably less than 10% Asian, I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. And it was probably about 40% to 45% white, 40, 45% Hispanic, um, some, uh, some black African American, but that even that was a bit smaller than, than the Asian side. So for me, it was a mix though of a lot of Hispanic kids, white kids that I grew up with. And I really think for me going to college and then in my career, it's been a real benefit mm -hmm. because I'm pretty comfortable sitting down talking to anybody. Yes. It's not a particular uh, type of person or, you know, I'm kind of out of my element. I never felt that at any time as I've been growing up and growing up in a community like Aliso Niguel uh, uh, or uh, Laguna Niguel, Aliso Viejo or Rosemead where there is a good mix of people. I think is always very helpful from that standpoint. Yeah, and you know, I grew up not far from here. I grew up in Tustin, and the, you know, I still, 
this is going to sound strange. I still remember the names of the other Asian kids because there were so few. Right, me too. They, they may right. be listening. They may be the listeners podcast. And I remember Chris Kobayashi. I still <laughs> see her on Facebook. And Stella Yang. You know, there, there weren't a lot of Asian Americans yeah. when I was in high school. Now, this is, you know, I graduated in 82. So that's going way back. But to be able to remember the other Asians in your class means there weren't that many. Right. You know, and I, I think about that and I think about the lessons I learned going from um, high school into a college environment, and it's very different. Uh, I, I feel like it was somewhat liberating. There wasn't uh, a lot of pressure, because I don't feel like in college, and I went to Cal Poly and Cal State Fullerton and, and then uh, Pepperdine, I don't feel like ethnicity or race came up the way it did in my younger years. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and, and now it seemed like it seems like there's such a focus on it. It is very strange yeah. that it's come back to that. Yeah, it's so there's so many things, whether it be race or and we're not. I definitely don't want to get into politics right. on this podcast yeah. here, but just the different, the polarizing element of things, the extreme side of, of things on that, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly it can go in different from a, from a race or a ethnicity standpoint, it can even pop around a bit, right? Mm-hmm. It could be the Asian hate crime times and where you hear about situations now about other, you know, it's very similar to that. And other times of other ethnicities that may be targeted if that's really the only way to, to look at it at that point in time. And it is a shame and we know it's wrong mm-hmm. and yet it does still uh, transpire and happen out there in certain ways because of how extreme or polarized the world has gotten now. And it has gotten that way, and that's why I'm relieved to hear that big corporations, small companies, nonprofits are aware of these things, and everyone seems to be working and moving in, in, I I hope, in the right direction um, to get rid of a lot of this uh, the friction that has taken place over, you know, the last decade. And right now, when you think about the United States um, and the way the way we are made up as a population, there is great opportunity for things to go in a positive direction, but there's always that chance that we can veer in the wrong direction. And that's why I think it's so important for uh, corporations, businesses, but individuals within those businesses to be aware and to be working like you are with your groups and, and to be able to move the 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 sentiment forward in a positive direction and i think that's what it really is is to have civility and have a positive sentiment when you're talking with someone who has the same background as you or has a completely different background but you understand that there are some things in common yeah and i think you know it's the key is action right Mm -hmm. sitting around talking about it saying it's not right is one thing but nothing will happen right you have to take action and going back to my role with the AAPI group, I'm the executive sponsor of the group. Uh, but there's plenty of people on the committee that we have, this, this team I had talked to you about, uh, where they are taking a tremendous action out of their day, out of their busy work days, mm-hmm. to still mm-hmm. promote the community and things that we're talking about, and then also embracing the other community groups within that, with, with that. But if there's not people that are willing to take action, action at the employee level, action at the company level, 
then nothing's going to happen around us. And right. as you know, as you said, we we are far from there. Yeah. But we're not going to make any we're not going to make any inroads or advancement on this if we don't take action. And I'm hoping. Ten years from now, you and I are sitting and talking, and we will actually be able to look back at, at, at this podcast and say, these are things that have happened since then. Yes. And it's more positive, and it's because of people that I get a ch- uh, fortunate enough to work with uh, within the company and the community there. Well, that's, I think that's a high note that we can end on. That is a terrific sentiment, and Howard, I will look forward to that. And I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Ross. I always enjoy the time together.